Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, this is Patrick from the Poison Pen Bookstore in Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, it is always a treat to have our friend Mike Lupica with us. He's going to be talking about the long-awaited new Spencer novel, uh, Robert B. Parker's Broken Trust. And just today, we got our signed copies. So uh, I'll go ahead and put a link in the comments field if you'd like to order one. We don't have that many left, actually. Um, so, and also if you have questions for Mike or Barbara, go ahead and put them in and uh, Barbara will bring me back on screen towards the end of the hour and I'd be happy to ask any questions you might have. So uh, Barbara, over to you. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you all for joining us on the eve of publication of Mike Lupica writing Spencer. And we started out with Mike, he was writing Sonny Randall, which I thought he did really well. And then suddenly he was writing Jesse Stone. <laughs> and now he's writing Jesse Stone. Now, which one are you still writing? You're writing Jesse Stone and Spencer and somebody else is writing Sonny. Uh, yes, uh, Allison uh, uh, Galen is writing Sonny. And I actually don't know who's going to do Jesse. And Barbara, if there were 14 months in the year, I would have tried to keep doing all of them. But I... I have this. Um, I have this writing partner. You may have heard of uh, this kid Patterson, right. and so he keeps me pretty busy. So in the Parker sphere now, I have just settled on uh, uh, my friend Mr. Parker's uh, character Spencer, and I am honored to do Spencer Fifty One on the fiftieth anniversary of the Godwolf manuscript. Wow, you know I've read them in real time, so. <laughs> 50 years, really? I still remember when it came out. I I I can tell you this, and I've I've, I've told the story many times. Uh, and 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 by the way, just to anybody listening, when when Barbara and I call him Bob and not Mr. Parker or Robert B, it's because that's who he was to us. He he yeah. was he was my friend, he was Barbara's friend, and I picked up a copy of the Godwolf manuscript at an old Brentano's on Boylston Street in Boston, long gone when I was in college. And it, it I have had this man's uh, voice inside my head for, for, for that long, quite happily. And, and the idea that all this time later that I would get to write Spencer is, is beyond any of my wildest dreams as, as, as a writer. And I, I think he would be pleased I think you would be pleased with what we, I, I wrote four Sonny Randalls, I wrote three Jesse Stones, and and now here comes uh, uh, Broken Trust, and uh, the, the response just from people who have read advanced copies has been tremendous. Well, you know, if, I still have my copy of the Godwolf, my original copy of wow. the Godwolf manuscript, wow. signed by Bob, because he used to stop here, you know, he loved he didn't like book tours and he would go to mysterious bookshop in New York because that was an easy trip for him. But any trips back and forth to Los Angeles, he would stop in here. We'd go drink at the Biltmore and then, you know, we would do, do events. I I'm sure I told you that the year that he was nominated or, or in fact was named the mystery writers of America grandmaster. I think it might've been his last live event because he had a medical, you know, he had problems after that with his heart and he didn't really travel. But he normally, you had to sort of like keep pushing him to talk. You know, he just wanted to be done. <laughs> he wanted to sign his books. So we started out that night and he smiled at the audience and he said, good evening, everybody. He said, you can call me Grandmaster Bob. And at <laughs> 8.30, 90 minutes later, I thought, there's a huge line here. You know what? So I, I sort of had to like, you know, cut him off. And the next day I wrote to Putnam and I said, um, had a wonderful time at 8 30 I had to apply a hook we had to you know we signed books till after 10 it was a great evening and they wrote back and they said no 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 they said you must have had some other Robert Parker there last night because <laughs> he just didn't do that no you got him to stay on that that's a big deal I told you this story uh we we both ended up in Georgetown one time uh on we were both on book tours and and we were staying at the same hotel and and uh, he said mikey call me mikey he said let's have dinner what time's your event and i said 6 30. he said well mine's seven o'clock he said make a dinner reservation back here at 8 15. and i i said well bob you know you're, you're robert b parker how do you know that you're going to be done 
at eight o'clock. He said, Mikey, let me explain something to you. At eight o'clock, if I've just written Robert, I don't even get to be Parker. I'm out of there. So if you got him to stay on, you did something. I love it. Well, he was like that. Um, but he was a wonderful guy. And I'm glad he lived long enough to see the Red Sox win a pennant. Um, because, you know, his third book is still my favorite of all the Spencers, as I could not imagine how he was ever going to bring, that's the baseball book, how he was ever going to bring it off, but he did. Well, Mortal Stakes, Mortal Stakes is great. I mean, it's just one of his very best. Well, as a sports guy, you know, I would think that you, like me, really loved that one because it was so great. So let's talk a little bit about Spencer. I actually thought that Jesse Stone, I mean, I was a little... You know, he was, he was a dark and kind of melancholy moments and all, but I thought you got Jesse's voice so well. Um, it really, really suited you. Of course, I thought you did Sunny well, too. So I was very interested to dive into Spencer, and we'll talk about that. But one of the things that I like about the book, and then I have a funny story to tell you, is there is a map. And yeah. in this map, in this map, Ace yeah. Adams, who's been writing the Spencer, moved Spencer, um, away from the core of Boston. So in this map, Spencer's apartment is way up at the top of the page, off up there behind Bunker Hill. And one thing that Mike does is bring Spencer back into walking distance from his apartment to his office, which I have to say you mentioned several times in the book. He He's pretty proud of the fact that he can once again walk to work uh in fact there's a, so it becomes a running joke that he's constantly telling people that he's back in back bay he's back on marlboro street i just that was that, that was just a, a, something i wanted to do i you know I, I barbara i went to boston college all of my four children went to boston college i have spent an impossibly long period of time in boston because of them and and covering the red sox and the celtics and the patriots so that particular geography is 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 embedded into my DNA, and I just I wanted I wanted to move him back to, near his office at you know Berkeley and Boylston, and and so that we take care of that in uh, chapter one. But there's a there's a place finally where he says to Susan, "If I mentioned how much I like walking to work," and she said, "People in outer space now know that you are able to once again walk." To Absolutely work. true. So you will get the map updated for the next book. Right, right. Exactly. So trusting, trusting Mike and his knowledge of Boston, on page 15, I read, Susan and I were having dinner at Bistro du Midi on Boylston Street at an upstairs table with a panoramic view of the public gardens. Now, I have to say that I am hopping up to Boston for two days in January to see the John Frederick Sargent exhibit at oh. the Museum of Fine Arts. So I have booked a hotel, I have booked flights, my travel companions going with me. When I read this, I wondered, I said to myself, this is Mike. So I'm pretty sure this is a real restaurant. Oh, no, I, I, there's no oh, way. Wait, wait yeah. it gets better. I'm not done. So I Googled the restaurant and there it is. It's a real thing. And I thought, perfect. So I opened up Open Table and put in my date and it wouldn't accept it and it kept saying the first date that we can book you in is january 22nd which is way after i'm going so i thought well obviously mike has picked a really good restaurant because either <laughs> they're closed or they are super busy but they had an email so i emailed them and i told them that i'm reading the new spencer by mike Lupica, who's you know lived in boston whatever and he is given a rave to the Bistro BD on Boylston Street with a panoramic view of the public garden. And I would like to share that. <laughs> so I said, is there anything you can do? Uh, because, you know, January 22nd is not when I'm going to be in Boston. And I'm telling you, it was like two seconds later, I got an email back. Something's wrong, they said. We definitely have a table for you on Saturday night, January, whatever it is. And they said, are we really in the book? And I said, yes. And they said, well, we're going to buy a coffee. It was just great. So I'm giving a shout out to the Bistro DMD, which has exemplary customer service before you ever get there. I hope I hope it lives up to yours and Spencer's expectations. But yeah, no, no, no. You know what a gourmand this character is. So no, no. These are all places that 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 I know. I mean, the, right. the bar at the Newberry, which is the, the old Ritz. He's 
is you know it's it's like a running character in well in we're gonna we're gonna stay there too um i you know i mean i'd stay there but drink there for sure but you know when when the old parkers there were places like lockover you know which are just not there anymore no so um, no. you know like all cities boston has you know has evolved and you know some things have gone some things have, are new and it's not the the boston of the early spencers so I think it's fun, you know, you have several other places. You definitely, you have a scene in the bar, in fact, that you yeah. just mentioned. Cause that's where Spencer and Susan would like to, you know, like to drink. It's very near the Boston Public Library, isn't it? On, is it on Copley Square? Yeah, I mean, his his office is, is at, at the corner of Berkeley and Boylston. The public library is, is, is just down Boylston Street oh. from his office in Copley Square. In fact, I just, wrote a scene in the uh my second Spencer oh uh, there a work in progress Ooh. oh no we never close Barbara I, between <laughs> Mr Patterson and these books I uh but it's it's good that I can I can do this because as you know I have no other skills so I if you know if the writing thing goes if it goes south I have nothing to fall back on but no all of this geography is is deeply in my heart in my soul of 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 Boston I when when the marathon bombing occurred, uh, I mean, that was like I, I was on a I was on my way to Boston the next day to write a column. And because anybody who is any kind of Bostonian knows that Marathon Day is like it, it, it's like New Year's in Times Square in New York City. It is the number one holiday. That, so they it was like an attack on all of us. So, I, no, I love that city. I hope my love of the city comes through the way Bob's always came through. I think it definitely does. And, you know, I mean, I don't recommend that you read mysteries entirely for tourist maps, but our tourist recommendations. But that was always the joy of reading the Spencers is that um, Bob gave you, I mean, for example, the Boston Harbor Hotel is the my favorite hotel in Boston. I've stayed there several times. And only when looking at your map here did I realize that, in fact, the Harbor Health Club is right across from the <laughs> Harbor Hotel. So I'm going to go over there and raise a glass. Um, you know, you can, I've only done it once, but you can um, you can take a boat. They have a, a boat shuttle from Logan yeah. to the Boston Harbor Hotel. It's so cool. You get off the plane and you walk down and you get, the, you know, get in the boat and they drive you right to the hotel, skipping all the traffic. Um, it's a gorgeous hotel, but somehow I never realized that the Harbor Health Club was right there. Well, it, it, Boston is a character in these novels and always has been. You know, I, uh, Robert Crace is a friend of mine, and and it's always been quite clear in the Elvis Cole and Joe Pike books that Los Angeles, the city, is as much a character in in his books as as Joe and Elvis are. And I just feel that way about Boston and and Spencer. And and again. You know, people will say, wait, they got this New York guy writing Spencer. No, 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 no. I grew up in New Hampshire. I went to Boston College and I, I just the, 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 the hotel that is now the Newberry, which is the old rich, which became the Taj for a while. I figured out one time, I think I've spent a year, I think I spent a year of my life spending uh, at that hotel. Well, I'm glad that you left Susan in Cambridge because, you know, Cambridge is adjacent to Boston, but it's not entirely Boston. And so you do have Susan's home and office on, let me think. Linnean Street, in, yeah. In Cambridge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that part. So it's really only Spencer that you've relocated. Everything else is largely as it was when Bob was writing. Did you ever visit Bob at home in his amazing Yeah, home? I've been to the famous house. I I... Uh, the first time we met in person, it was, I can't tell you what year it was. I was, I was doing some pieces for the McNeil Lair News Out in, uh, on PBS in New York City. And they wanted a Yankee Red Sox. There was a big Yankee Red Sox series coming up. And they wanted to, you know, to talk to Bostonians about how deep this thing was. And, and I 
you know, I got in touch with him. He said, come along. And we, we, we filmed me. And I, I wish I could find this piece because it was really fun. But I was at the famous house with the, 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 the three stories, one for him, one for Joan. And then the common area was the, was the, was the middle floor. Absolutely. Now it was an interesting living arrangement and, you know, it was on a, it's sort of on a triangular lot. So it was almost like approaching a ship you know, when, when you went there. But it was a great house. Oh my goodness. What a great house. Very much so. So Susan, it seemed to me that you updated, well, not updated, you gave Susan Silverman a, a more, shall I say, enduring personality when you were writing um, the Sunny Randalls, because Susan is Sunny's therapist and whatever. And I liked her better. I never liked her as much in the Spencers as I liked it when you were writing um, Sunny. So I'm happy to see that you brought that Sunny into this Spencer book. Yeah. It's, it's, listen, it is, I, I, I think in all the annals of, of crime fiction in this country, that is the, the enduring relationship is Spencer and Susan Silverman. And, and you know, it, one thing I, I decided, and again, Ace Atkinson, such a high bar with his mm -hmm. 10 books. I, 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 you know, he knows this. I've told him personally, he set a high bar all praise for what he did because because I think we've talked about this. We were both going to be really tough graders when when somebody picked up the mantle and did Spencer. And then you know I thought he he knocked it out of the park. But the one thing I decided when I was given this franchise and and knew that I had to honor it was I I wasn't going to try to reinvent the wheel here. Okay, I mean this story this is a classic opening to a detective novel. Mm -hmm. A woman comes through the door with a problem, okay? And, and it's just, it, it made me happy to, to, to write this scene. The, the wife of the sixth richest man in America comes through his door and that starts uh, the action of the book. And again, I wanted him back in the neighborhood. I, I, I wasn't gonna move his office. Writing Hawk is as much fun as, Barbara, writing Hawk is as much fun as anything that I have ever gotten to do. I, I have been, I, I put him in one of the Sonny Randalls, but th this, that that relationship is as much a core relationship as Spencer and Susan is. Mm -hmm. So it was a blast. And, and Hawk wasn't gonna be off in Southeast Asia. He was gonna be present and they were gonna be in this together. He is a fabulous character and you've, you have not, left one other person behind that you haven't mentioned yet, which is the wonder dog, the dog. Oh, Pearl the wonder dog. Yeah, no, I, it, it's, it's, and, and Martin Quirk, I, I wanted to not bring him out of the bullpen, but I wanted to make him more present again. And Frank Belson and Tony mm -hmm. Martin, you know, it's, it's, it's. And Henry, let's not forget Henry. Donald and Henry, I, my thing with, with all of these characters and I, you know, I, I think this is a pretty tricky story, okay? I think people are gonna be surprised, especially as they get to the end, because there's one surprise after another. But we've talked about this before. If you don't wanna hang around with these characters for 350 pages, then then I didn't do my job. I, I, I always loved his plots, but I loved hanging with these people even more. Absolutely true. And in fact, we even get to hang with Zebulon Pike by long distance, so to speak, because he's out in California, which I love. I also was, you know, sort of laughed when you said that, because as we know, there was the amazing sort of shrinking Spencer um, as Bob got older, you know, the books got shorter and the margins got bigger. And, you know, he didn't lose because Bob was just a genius with dialogue and, you know, you're wonderful with it as well. So he could have pages of dialogue and not, you know, wasting, but this book comes in at 300 and whatever it is here. 382. I just looked it up to make That's sure. Right. So, and you know, it's the full, it's the full deal once again. And I'm happy to say that it ends with Spencer meeting Hawk at the bar. <laughs> That's not a spoiler because now anybody watching this will realize that both Spencer and Hawk are going to survive this book to move on. You you wouldn't dare kill either one of them. That would be no, fair. no. If I, anything happened to Barbara, if anything happened to them, I, I wouldn't survive. That's okay, right. So they're, yeah, they're bulletproof. Right. So I was interested to see how you were going to handle you know Spencer's ethics because. He has, you know, he had his code. I mean, it's almost like the code of the West, you know. And I think Bob 
was influenced to some degree by you know Western writers and you know that the the sort of um, code that those guys would have. Um, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, over the years, you know, his ethics could. They it was. I don't know exactly how to explain it. He had some things he would never do, but he could sort of bend according to whatever situation was coming up. So, you know, I was curious to see how you were going to handle that in this tricky story. Yeah, we can't we can't tell what challenges no. this code. No. But there was, to me, um, and it, we, I reference it in this book, one of the central events, as you know, in the history of this series was in the Catskill Eagles, where he mm -hmm. kills a pimp to save the lives of, of two prostitutes who have given he and Hawk, they're on the run from the law, and, and they end up holing up in the apartment. And there's this vicious pimp, and, and they're trying to get Susan back. It's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite um, Spencer's, because it, it was the most, to me, it's the most complicated because of the issues. And he any i'm sorry if anybody hasn't read the casket legal but you're right. on your own okay but he kills this man to save the lives of because he knows that he'll come back and kill these two prostitutes when he finds out what they've done and this in barbie this is referenced through the years that this moment mm -hmm. stayed with this character and i i wanted to honor that memory and i also wanted to have something happen that challenged his code. And, and readers will see there is something he finds out in this book that, that challenges his code. And you're exactly right. It's the code of the Old West. This He is, in so many ways, it's interesting because he's from Laramie, an old cowboy hero, okay? Yeah. And, and, and there's lines that he won't cross, but he has crossed it a, a couple of times. But not without not without consequences. You know, there's a, a whole school of um, critique of detective fiction that thinks that um, as the West, you know, ended in California, the cowboy hero translated to the private eye. We had Hammett in San Francisco and we had Chandler in Los Angeles. And basically the private eye was indeed, you know, that this kind of guy. Um, but now he's an urban yeah, you know, cowboy instead of a, a whatever. And I think Bob was very much at that. I've never read his PhD thesis. I've often thought that I should have. Um, and it would have been interesting. It was on Chandler, wasn't it? I think it was. Although, as I say, I haven't read it. Yeah, and he, then he ended up doing two Philip. Yeah, Martin. but I mean, he was he was definitely a scholar of that. And as you know, at the moment, the whole golden age of mystery has made a Tremendous comeback during COVID. People started reading classics. I couldn't believe how many copies of War and Peace we sold. <laughs> it's like, is that right? We had time to read War and Peace. But the British Library Crime Classics and uh, the American Crime Classics, Library of Congress Crime Classics, and all, um, you know, have really, have really boomed. But um, that's true. That's true in a lot of, I just reordered Writers of the Purple Sage. I mean, I can't remember right. this time that we sold a copy of Writers of the Purple Sage, you know, and whatever. Um, but I, I think that Bob was very much a student of what he would have considered the golden age of American, you know, mystery, which would have been, you know, really the 30s and 40s and up into the 50s with guys like, you know, we could add Ross McDonald, although I think, I think wasn't he... He was later, didn't he? Write some of his books in the seventies. I'm trying to remember. I think so. I, 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 I was never of the two McDonald's. I was a bigger John D. fan. Well, I, and he was I, yeah. I, I, I devoured the Travis McGee. Uh, sure, and those were very big in the sixties. Yeah, no, and 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 tremendous. I mean, he was such mm -hmm. a great writer, and the he and Robert B. Parker made me want to write this kind of mm -hmm. book. It was Travis McGee. And and it was Spencer. And and again, when, when I go back and read, I wrote three mysteries about a New York investigative reporter called Peter Finley back in the 80s and 90s. And I, I can just see Mr. Parker's influence on me profoundly, practically on every page. You know, that's such an interesting pairing because Parker has been faithful to Susan during, you know, the entire series. Travis McGee was a new woman every book. Yeah. There was no concept, of, you know, so, so I, I mean, it was, that was, a, you know, that's a sort of personal 
coat or whatever it was. And they were quite a contrast to each other, that one. Well, unfortunately, in the Travis McGee books, if he did fall for someone, you knew no good was going to come of that That's right. the end no. of the book. You know, so it's it it is it was a completely different mindset about yeah. women, and 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 really, you know, I I again, I I I've never done a PhD. I've read a lot of these books. I don't know if there's ever been a, a long-standing relationship like Spencer and 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 Susan Silverman and. And, and fortunately, they just don't get old. So that's I have. I'm you know, an unfortunate artifact of old age is that it takes my memory longer. It takes the the whatever it is system. I hear it really yeah, clogged, but you know the the retrieval system is clogged, and so I can't come to. There are um, others, but uh, but certainly certainly Parker and and I mean sorry Spencer and Susan are a real template. And I, I wondered, you know, he started out writing Jesse um, as kind of an opposite thing, you know, yeah. because there was all that that tension. And you you kind of veered a couple of times writing Jesse towards some more permanent relationship. But did the- With Sonny Randall. Well, I with Sonny Randall. And, yep. and because Bob had clearly started to move both of them. Yep in that direction when he was still alive. And so I, that was something that, that I very much uh, uh, wanted to do because in the Jesse books in particular, I, I just thought the thing with his ex-wife had gone as far as you could go. Absolutely. I, I mean, it was that, that was, that was a rabbit hole that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't going to go down. Um, she's barely referenced uh, in, in the, in the Jesse Stone books, but, uh, and he even had a fling with, with, uh, with Rita Fiore. Who is one of my all-time favorite characters? And Barbara, again, I keep holding this up. Okay, oh, Rita is a very important character in the new. Uh, the well, yes, right. she always had the potential. You know, if Susan had somehow untimely died, I always thought that Rita would have been, you know, next up. Because, I mean, she's a wonderful character, great lawyer. You know, wonderful, just great. And he's been he's stood strong in the face of her. The force of her beauty and personality, and and Barbara, dare we say, her persistence in the area of Spencer. Yes, no, absolutely true. She's never made any secret of how she'd like to have to, you know, to work out. And you know, I, I like Bob has explored other dynamics. I mean, early autumn, you know, the, the young boy there, and you know, all. And then the one before that with the the woman, the lesbian woman who looking for Rachel Wallace. Oh, Rachel Wallace. Oh my you God. Know? I mean, he he really did. I mean, we're talking about ethics or societal mores or whatever we're talking about. Bob really didn't hesitate, you know, to to go off um and explore, you know, LBGT themes when people weren't really writing them. With characters like that, and then you know he has Hawk as a sidekick. For, you know, and nobody. I'm I I do wonder when and we're in an age where authenticity has reared its head to a degree that I really don't like. Whether whether if Hawk hadn't been established, whether Bob could actually write Hawk today. You know, there's this whole thing about you can't write characters that you know you aren't. Oh, and and not only that, but. The, their byplay is is so knowing and ironic <laughs> and racial it is and and it's but it's born out of love and friendship it, but it is it is a it is it is a tightrope that you have to walk when you're writing this dialogue but i i just think that it's so clear that the reader gets the joke okay the reader gets the joke when, when and then hawk will immediately lapse into what Spencer calls his Downton Abbey accent, it, it, yeah. it, the drop of a hat, and 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 you know what do you mean, white boy? And it's it's but it's again, it's all done so uh, affectionately. And I, you know, I don't have any qualms about writing an African American character like Hawk because you know what I feel like, Barbara. I feel he's been my friend since you know since Promised Land, which is the first book of Bob's that that. Hawk showed up in and was right. an adversary at first until they they their interests were aligned. Which is the Hawk that takes place outside of Austin to some degree, and Hawk plays the the bigger role than Spencer. I've been trying to 
look it up. And I, I again, my memory for for well, my, my fate, the one where Hawk to I mean, my you know, picking my favorite Spencer's like picking my favorite child, okay. But cold service to me was as good as anything. Robert B. Parker, it's the one where Hawk gets shot um, by the Ukrainians. In, in, oh, in right. Okay, dodge. but that's not the one I'm thinking of. But and you're and, and then they go and clean up the town of Marshport together. And and again, even then, Hawk becomes the vigilante in that book. And Spencer doesn't actually murder anybody, <laughs> but right. Hawk, gets a, Hawk gets them all. Well, of course, I'm fond of Potshot because it takes place here in Arizona and he's able to bring, it's, it's a variation of the Seven Samurai because he's able to bring his various, you know, buddies in to clean up the, it, it's a Western. It's a Spencer Western. It's the Magnificent Seven. I mean, yes. it's, it's, yeah. it's, Bob's, it's Bob turning this Magnificent Seven on its head, bringing it to Arizona, bringing it into modern times. And as you said, again, he's got so many great, characters in the gang i mean he's not afraid to have teddy sap who's a gay no. guy from the south um um and 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 again they, they they are there's a great bond between the two of them and bernard j fortunato a little a little gangster from vegas it's no it's i love pot shot too Oh, good. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. So one thing that you tackle in this book that we can sort of talk about is you know there's a lot of current conversation about, you know, whether the tech geniuses will give us a brave new world or shoot down our world for good and whether, you know, whether their philanthropy is really um, admirable or whether it's self-serving and all kinds of things. So for you to bring in the sixth richest man in America, you know, I mean, images pop up. Is it Bill Gates? Is it Jeff Bezos? Is it, you know, it's all over. It's all Sancho, whatever his name is. And, you know, they're all in the news so much. And of course, you know, Elon Musk is so horrifying that, well, sorry, but that's my statement and I stand by it. Um, that, you know, I thought it was interesting that you took one of these characters who is so much in the news and, you know, decided to make him it's his wife that comes to Spencer and says that um, she is concerned about her husband, that he's behaving in ways that he has never behaved before, and she wants to hire Spencer to um, find out what's going on. Um, so it's a it's an odd assignment, isn't it? Yeah, she she tells him that something's wrong, but she doesn't know what. Um, he's behaving erratically, but she doesn't know why. Um, she can only tell him so much. He doesn't really want to talk to Spencer, even though somehow Susan and Laura Crane arrange a dinner, or you know, that really right. kind of touches off the action of of the book. And yeah, it's it's again, you 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 just gave the litany of all the rich guys. It's all of them. It's it's Bezos. It's it's Bill Gates. It's 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 all of them. But what if you know one of them had? more of a history than the world you know we live in a world where everybody knows everything about everybody okay but in this case not everybody knows everything about andrew crane and it's like it's like one of those boxes where you start taking things out and then there's another box inside and there's another box inside and and again you know you always laugh at me when i tell you this i i don't consider myself a great plotter. I, I come from the school of Elmore Leonard, get him in a room, start him talking, and things will develop in an interesting way, okay? But this plot is actually pretty, I thought, I'm pretty proud of this plot. In, yeah, in well, broken I think you should be. Um, and we haven't mentioned that Mrs. Crane is a patient or a friend, I can't remember which, of Susan's. They're friends, she's not a patient. Right, because yeah. Susan, that's right, because Susan's ethics wouldn't have allowed her to. Yeah. Anyway, so, so Susan is, you know, peripherally involved in all this you know so we can't really say any more than that because we'd spoil it but i do think that it is a, a lens to look bob bob gave us lenses to look at the world and i think this is a book that gives us a lens to look at i this I particular think, issue i think when you talk about guys this wealthy okay they are there's a rock star even if they're nerdy like andrew crane is in this book there's a rock star element and, and there's a fascination with wealth and power. And, and again, 
I, I keep calling them, it's, it almost becomes a joke, the sixth richest man in America. And some will say fifth richest and Spencer will correct them. No, no, the sixth richest, okay. And, and Barbara, I know a lot more about lithium now <laughs> than I did. I'm before. sure you do, because there had to be some basis for it. You know, what happens really with all of, you know, with that kind of money is that people live in a bubble. Um, and, you know, it gets harder and harder to relate to the world. If you read the Wall Street Journal and you read the mansions section on Fridays, you know, I'm always just like completely astounded. It, it's all monopoly money. You know, I mean, it's, you know, $150 million on Nantucket or it's $93 million in Newport or whatever, you know. And you recognize that that's not even real money to these people. No. When no. you have that, when you have that rich, that, that it, it just doesn't mean anything in your possessions because a lot of it is, it's almost like they are playing Monopoly. They spent, you know, four years building some, you know, replica of a castle in Italy or something. And then they, you know, decide to move to be closer to something else. <laughs> that, you know, it doesn't have a ballroom or whatever it all is. And so basically, I think that that's the real, the real problem when you have that kind of money that um, nothing, you know, everything and everyone's really for sale when you start thinking about it. And it's hard to retain because people then only tell you what, what you want to hear because their jobs depend on it or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I, I prefer back, I've always remembered, I, I grew up reading the Oz books. I love the Oz books. The day I really grew up was the day I realized that I was never going to get to Oz, that it wasn't a real place and I'd never get to click my heels and go there. But um, embedded in that was some real wisdom. And Ozma, who had the magic wand that could do anything, Asma always held firm with it and said that that kind of power, you know, was only only she could be entrusted with it because everybody else it would corrupt was basically the bottom line. And that's really that's really what we're talking about is that kind of money. It's like a magic wand. You know, there's nothing you can't have if you really want to buy it. Well, and what you find out is as as my story unfolds is it's the oldest story in the book. You know, the old line is money can't buy happiness, but it will finance an exhaustive search. Okay. But in in, in, in this book, we kind of have a Paul Allen, Bill Gates type partnership between mm -hmm. Andrew Crane and his partner. Yes, that was immediately obvious. Two nerds in the garage, you know. Yeah. And, and but what I think the fun of this, I, I think the fun of this, and again, I know how passionate the audience is for Robert B. Parker's characters. Okay. I, I, I knew that when I first took on Sonny, but I was I was confident enough in my love of the material and my that I could do this. And I, I think I told you, I as soon as I wrote the first scene of the first Sonny with Sonny and Spike, I just felt like I was exactly where I belonged. And 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 Sonny asked Spike, um, do you think I'm getting older? And Spike said, This is a trap. And she said, No, the UPS kid mammed me the other day and Spike said, well, I assume you shot him. And, and Barbara, I'm telling you from, from that moment on, right. I knew I was gonna be okay. And when Spencer opens this book and he's sitting having another cup of coffee and he's now read a study, <laughs> the caffeine is good for you. And, and he says, I found it on the internet where you can find almost anything you wanna find out. And he says, I'm almost positive if I search hard enough, I can find a place that'll make me look more like Bradley Cooper. And again, I'm I'm, He's just back from Dunkin' Donuts and, and we're off. And before long, a beautiful woman is coming through his door. And then it's all about power and money and secrets and, and, and surprises. And I, I feel like I've written the kind of book that I wanted to read. That's, that's. Absolutely. And the other thing that's wonderful is that the world has aged, but none of these people have. And, you know, I think the readers, Readers are perfectly willing, you know, to suspend disbelief and go with that. I mean, really, Spencer was what a Korean War veteran, you know, way back in the day. But guess what? Not anymore. It's not. No. But, not any, but here, here's the thing: Rebus is aging in real time, and 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 Ian has carried this off magnificently. Harry right. Bosch is aging in real time, but. That it's just simply not going to happen. In fact, I, I saw an interview once with Ace where he thought about, you know, writing books um, like before, um, you know, before the Godwolf manuscript, taking it back yeah. in time and taking it back to the 70s and starting there. But it's, it's, 
that ship has, has sailed. So, so all I think of with Spencer and Susan and Hawk and the rest of they're, they're living in Brigadoon. Okay. They, no, they it's Boston with... Brigadoon. Boston changes and ages, right, none right. of them do, which I think is a great way to look at it. Patrick, come and join us and see if there's any questions or comments you'd like to make. I like this Boston Brigadoon. I'm going to adapt that. Yeah, I think we came yeah. up with something, Barbara. Yeah. Well, here's a question um, from Fred, and it's an interesting one. Um, do the Spencer books need to be read in order? No, I, I do not believe they do. No. I, 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 Patrick, I go back and read. I, I go back and reread them. Okay, and if I'm not rereading them, I on my daily long walk, I have Joe Montaigne's voice in my head, and and I, I don't know if you've ever listened to one of the uh, audiobooks. Joe Montaigne, a fabulous actor, and he played Spencer. And even though he didn't physically look like Spencer. He was the most Spencer um, um, in these old A&E movies. If you've never seen them, he was terrific. In fact, I, I we we have been emailing back and forth because I told him how thrilled I am that he's going to be reading one of my Spencers. And he's just a, a, a terrific guy. But, but the point is, I go back and reread them all the time. And, and I don't think you have to read them in order. You can go back and, you know, see, the one I that has a special place in my heart because it's the last Spencer Bob wrote was Six Kill, and and you know knowing now that that was the last one, it's always had a special place in 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 my heart. It's hard to believe that he died 13 years ago. I mean, it's like oh, it is. Yeah. it's 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 quite amazing that it's now been 13 years uh, since he passed. Have you heard Ace Atkins' funny story about Six Kill? No. Barbara, do you remember this? He, uh, you know, as you say, it was the last book that he wrote, and um, and then Ace took over with the next book, I believe. Yeah, and Wonderland. He, yeah. Yes, and um, and he said that he got some hate mail from somebody saying, "How dare you?" And they were referring to Six Kill. He said, "How dare you try to imitate the voice of the master <laughs> in your book Six Kill?" You know, I could tell yeah. from the second sentence that it wasn't. Bob, you know, and he just uh, great story. But Ace, I thought Ace did a fantastic job. He did. He, he did. did a wonderful job. And I'm happy to tell you that Ace has a new series starting and it is publishing in, I'm trying to remember, it's either the middle of July. No, it's the first week in August. And Patrick, here's an amazing thing Randy Wayne White, in the I same week, except I'm hoping they're moving it. Uh, is bringing back Doc Ford. There's another very, very long-running series. And he yeah. and currently have the same publication date in August, but I, I mentioned that I didn't think that was a great idea, so I hope they broke it up. I don't think they would pair well together for some no. reason. But I don't think it's, I, I, you know, people, publishers pick dates that are targets way out there. Yeah. Madison and, and know, Lupica have a new one coming out in the summer. <laughs> it's you know, so, it's I mean, second it's the second book in the Jane Smith uh, series. It's the second edition after 12 Months to Live. Um, uh -huh. It's Well, you, you, you know what? It, it's a real pace to keep up with Mr. Patterson. I'm going to be debuting his um, January book on January 8th, I think it is. Um, uh, Holmes, Marple, and Poe? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's um, it's always fun to talk to him. I have no idea how he keeps up the pace that he does. Well, guess what? To, to, we are doing a kind of a brief Alex Cross meets Spencer tour. We are appearing together in Delray Beats tomorrow night. We're on Morning Joe with our with our Cross meets Spencer cross promotion, so to speak. Oh, look what I did there! And because uh, we have so much fun touring together when we write a book together, that we decided to keep touring even though we have separate books now. I think that's wonderful. We'll give him our best. Um, I will see him at uh, eight o'clock Eastern time tomorrow when we're sitting down to do morning job. Right. Um, Anything else, Patrick? Yeah, there, questions come in. This is this is a good one. Um, what are the what are the biggest challenges of of writing a new Spencer novel? I mean, it sounds like it's a natural fit for you. You have the voice in your head. What are some of the challenges that that you face? 
Well, Patrick, I, I, the one thing that I think we all face is to try, even with these timeless characters, to stay current with the issues. So, you know, the issues that we deal with um, in broken trust, um, you know, are, are very current. They're very much in the moment. So I, I you know, there's, I, I mean, and anybody who's ever read one of my books knows how many topical references there are in my books. But I think it, it gives people a greater sense of time and, and, and space. I've, I've seen other writers talk about this before. The only thing that makes me yearn it, for the old days and, and the time when Bob Parker first started writing Spencer is that there were no cell phones. To, to negotiate around what cell phones can do and the way they can track people and 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 all of the bells and whistles, it, it's extremely challenging to find ways that you, you're not constantly using cell phones to solve the mystery. And right. so I yearn for the days when I, you know, you could pick up a rotary phone and, and dial the numbers, not because I, I, I yearn for those days, but it was it, it was a lot more straightforward solving these mysteries in those days. I was talking with uh, an author, David Swinson, who was a former uh, police investigator. And his new book is terrific. It's set in 1999. Yeah. And talk about an interesting place to set a book because it's hard to imagine a chunk of time, a 20 year span in which the world has completely changed right. more right. than those. I mean, maybe even, even 1980 to... 1999, not quite as fast, but he talks about cops get, you know, being assigned their first Nextel cell phones and how much they, you know, it was a pain in the ass because they could be reached at, at all times, you know, rather. Yeah. So it's, it's totally different. I uh, think the one throwaway line I've got about Instagram in the Spencer book is that he has posted pictures on Instagram, but only of his dog. And, and, you know, that's it. Right. A wise decision, I might add. Yeah, right? You know, you could have fun. You should really give him an Instagram account. Have oh, you talked to button him about that? Because then then I'd have to pay more attention. If the, thank God bless Taylor Lupica. You know, I, everybody knows I overmarried. I'm, I'm, you know, when Bill Parcells, the old football coach, my dear friend, met Taylor for the first time, he called me up the next morning. He said, you overmarried and hung up on me. And she's been dining out on that line ever since. She kind of runs, you know, a, a, my Instagram page, but I, 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 I can't do anything. I, I um, um, uh, one of the reasons why Patterson and I get along so well is we're both a couple of Luddites when, I mean, I, I post like funny lines on, on X or Twitter or whatever it's called now, but I can't, Barbara, I can't do anything. I wasn't referring to your doing it. I thought it would be fun if somebody did it. If he people. does it, I'd have to know how to do it. Oh, okay. All right. Got I, can, it. I know that I make things up for a I know that I make things up for a living, but I I I I'm so flummoxed by stuff like that. I, okay. I I'm not I'm not against it. I'm not, you know, hey, you kids get off of my lawn. I my kids. You know, whenever I have a question about anything, um, my wife will just say, call Zach or call Alex or call Chris or call Hannah. And then they'll solve any of my social media, <laughs> social media issues. Yeah, you can say, stay on my lawn, but you have to figure out the new battery operated lawnmower that we got. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, as long listen, as they do the again, work, right? <laughs> Patrick, again, I, I, I wish I could tell you I remember all that I learned about lithium and synthetic lithium to write this book. But it was like when I was studying Spanish or French when I was in college, it just, as soon as it was over, it just like spills, it just spills out of, you know, it just, it's like it's a still, spring. yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we have a, our friend from Romania, Barbara, has tuned in, Tony. Hey, and, Tony. Uh, I'm glad he asked this question. He said, greetings from Romania. Uh, Mike is awesome. I have 42 of his books. Love uh, Sonny and Jesse, but the sports books written for kids, Zach and Zoe. Wow. Sorry, moved on me here. Uh, Comeback Kids, Game Changers, Home Team, and Travel Team were great. Uh, let's see. It keeps moving on. Uh, my kids love them all. Any plans for more? No. Right now, I simply, I, I again, I, I, 
I was only half kidding before when I said I, I, I need 14 months in the year because um, if, 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 if I had that, I could have kept up more of, of the, no, the, next year they're going to come out with a 20th uh, anniversary edition of Travel Team, which was a, a book for kids that changed my life. I had no plans to write that kind of book. Within 10 days, it was number one on, on the New York Times bestseller list. It, it sold a bazillion uh, copies. And for 15 years, I, I had a steady stream of, of those books. And it is one of the great experiences of my whole life. I, I, I was doing an interview today and I, I was telling this person, I, even now, if I'm out in public, and because I was on ESPN so long and I, I've done a lot of you know morning television, people still you know recognize me when I'm out. And I'll see usually a mom coming towards me. And I know what she, and I don't know what book she's gonna talk about, but she's gonna tell me that her son or daughter was a reluctant reader until my books for kids came along. And it's like the greatest compliment you can ever get paid. So they don't say, hi, Mr. Costas, I recognize you from- No, no, they don't, they don't. Costas and I are, are very good friends. His son is my godson. We were in each other's weddings, um, really, but but he looks far more youthful um, uh, than I do. He just does, and and, <laughs> and and I don't know how he does it. I think he's made some sort of arrangement with you know. I, I don't know, but Dave, yeah. Dave Barry too. I don't know what. Uh... No, and Hyacinth too. Hyacinth, you know, Hyacinth. At least his hair is my color hair. He's gonna be introducing me up at the Vero Beach Book Center on 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 Friday, you know, he, he lives about two seconds from the bookstore and I have to beg him to show up there. And, and, uh, but he's, no, he's one of my dearest friends, but he, even he doesn't look his age. Yeah. Let's see. Um, so, okay. You've talked a little bit about this, um, but Tony would also like to know, so how does the partnership with James Patterson work? How do you how do you guys divide up the uh, the labor when you write the books? It's 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 too it's too complicated to explain. Except the way Jim describes it is, you, all of your favorite TV shows they all have a writers' room. He said our writers' room is on the phone. We literally talk, we literally talk five or six times a day, and then we play golf together on Saturdays, and then we have our wives or friends, and we have dinner together. And we just are in, in sync. I mean, we, I, I, I was telling the story the other day. Our first collaboration was a book called The Horsewoman. And it was about show jumping, and, and, which is a world my daughter comes from. And my, my wife was a great you know, uh, uh, horse show mom to it. But when people saw that, they're thinking, wait a minute, James Patterson is involved with a book about show jumping and it, it was a, a huge hit. And from the time we got chapter one done, we just, if you, if you had dinner, if you saw us on tour together or you had dinner with us and, and just see how we finish each other's sentences. And the only way I can describe it is we finish each other's sentences and pretty soon we have a book. You're just simpatico. Yeah, and he's you know he's a bear for outlines. I mean, he's I, if you if you know anything about his work, he is he is a bear for outlines. So we always start with 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 an outline, and you know we don't stick to it, but it's 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 tremendously fun to have that uh, uh, roadmap. And and yeah, right now we're working on Jane Smith three, and. We're on a book tour in, uh, we were in Southern New Jersey on our last book tour for 12 Months to Live. And it's, it's, it's sideways rain, it's cold, it's, we're on the ocean. We, we start off on a walk and of course we go about 200 yards and he said, no, 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 no. I'm going back to the hotel. So Sue Patterson and I, we press on, you know, like, like uh, Nick Carraway said, boats against the current board ceaselessly back into the past we come back and he has seen an old man on a bike jim has seen an old man on a bike and and he he shows me five pages and he said i know what our next book's going to be and and that's what it's like working with this man wow it's amazing you know for all the projects he has going constantly 
to hear how involved he is. Oh my God! All of no, them. I I was at his house. We we uh, we shoot commercials uh, for the for the books, and and Taylor Lupica and Sue Patterson are are in some. They're they're really quite good. You could see the old J. Walter Thompson uh, ad guy and Jim coming out. So I'm walking around in his study, and there's this manuscript and this manuscript. This and and, and, I, and I I put my hand on one and I said. Who are you writing this one with? He goes, you. I said, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, I, yeah, 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 that, yeah, I got it. Um, let's see. Uh, you mentioned well, Renee, our friend. She asks, Mike, did you say that you'll be at Delray Beach tomorrow night? Yeah, the library. Um, I think it's the public library uh, on on Hagen Ranch Road. Uh, Does she Gemini need a ticket? Huh? Does she need a ticket to attend? I think she's going to need. I think she's going to need a ticket. I. And Barbara, I know you're going to think this is crazy, but but when when Patterson and Lupic are out on the road, we're actually people actually turn out. Show up in person, astonishing. They they uh, it's uh, it's it's big fun, and and but I have a feeling if she shows up, she'll be able to get in. Yeah, we're going down there tomorrow night, and and uh, it's uh, yeah we're cranking up the traveling road show. It's it's. Uh, it's it's like the old Hope and Crosby movies, you know. We're on the road to Delray Beach tomorrow night. Nice. Um, I guess last question: uh, Do your daughter and wife have horses? Yeah, yeah. My 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 daughter has one horse still, who is with Fold, and and she was Hannah Lupica was a champion. And the fun of doing the horsewoman was that that Jim and I didn't write a page that that Taylor and Hannah didn't go over and say, no, that she wouldn't, that horse wouldn't. And, and it was, it was very much a, a, a family affair. And, and uh, yeah, she, she doesn't ride anymore, but she works in that world and loves that world. And it was great for her to grow up in that world. Cause when all her friends were going to parties, she was riding horses five days a week. Nice. So Mike, are you going to try to keep to our annual schedule with the Spencers? Oh, absolutely. Yep. This one, the one I'm working on, I keep doing this, Barbara, just to chant, you know, just to tease you. I love it. I know. I want to snatch it from him, but hey, this is a virtual event. His actual type written. See? Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Okay. No, <laughs> I, I'm going to deliver it in February and we'll probably come out about this time next year. And hopefully, you know, one of these years I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'll just force you to take me in and actually show up. At oh, that would be really nice. We would love to do that. You know, I'll talk to your publisher um, about it. That would be great. Yeah, we have, we, have, new, we have a new 550 person venue that we can use. So perhaps you and Mr. Patterson would like to come our way again. We haven't seen Jim live for four or five years. I keep trying to get him to go to Vero Beach with me on Friday. And he said, listen, if I'm not there right when it starts, I, I believe that you and Carl should go ahead and start without me. And I said, yeah, right. Right. Well, we'll work something out. Anyway, it's always a joy to talk to you. So thank you very much for joining us. I'd like to thank everybody who has stuck with us for an hour um, for doing that. And here's our copy of Robert B. Parker's Broken Trust. The signed ones just arrived today. And as Patrick said, we don't have a whole lot of them left. So let me just, just say... That, that Poison Pen is one of the capitals. It is one of the capitals of our world. It is, it is part of the rock solid foundation of what we all do. And so it is always my privilege to talk to you, Barbara, and to talk to you, Patrick. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. It's really been, I'm so glad that you started in the Parkerverse and we therefore got to spend time together. So it's been, I remember I was, I really, had some trepidation when I discovered that Mike was going to come and see us with the first Sunny Randall because they thought, I wonder if I'll like it. It's hard to be, you know, it's hard to be enthusiastic about a book if you don't like it, but it's rude. <laughs> it's rude to have the author there in the book. So yeah. there was, and I was so relieved to discover that, you know, that I really loved it and I'd miss Sunny because she, you know, she hadn't been around for a while. I was so pleased to see you take that up and, you know, it's fun to see you migrate across the Parker sphere to Spencer. It was the idea that I got to write all three of those characters again. Is no just, kidding. I mean, that's a real trifecta. It's and it's a high honor. It's a high honor.
Indeed, I it just, is. I just looked up, Barbara, and uh, you're sold out at the Palm Beach County Library. Sold out. Uh, in conversation with Charles Todd, too. That's cool. Oh, very nice. Yeah. We have Patrick. We Jim. We just have a lot of stupid fun. It's 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 it's. Uh, so maybe there's a maybe there's a cancellation list. I just gave them the the uh, the link to it. So who knows? Oh, all right. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. You know, it's great that live events have come back as much as they have. Yeah, you know, Zoom was a real blessing during COVID, and Barbara, it's, we, it's fun to talk to you. But live is well, fun. Jim, too. I know you got to go. When Jim and I were on the road with Twelve Months to Live, we we, we were going to a city a night, and we would have between seven hundred and a thousand people every night talking about books. It, it gives you hope. <laughs> it gives you hope, not just us, but just the people are coming out to talk about books. It was wonderful. It is wonderful. I so agree with you. Good night, everybody. Thanks again for joining us and happy holidays to everybody. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.